Hello and welcome to Decision NYC with Ben Max. I'm Ben Max, your host and the executive editor of Gotham Gazette. The 2021 New York City election cycle is well underway and it's poised to be the most significant municipal election in decades. All of city government is on the ballot and because so few incumbents are eligible to run for their current seats due to term limits, New Yorkers are electing many new office holders and the next roster of leadership for our city. There will be a new mayor of New York City elected here in 2021, as well as a new city controller, new borough presidents, many new city council members. And that's not all that's on the ballot. There's also another very important election happening in the city, specifically in Manhattan, but not for a city government position. There's a crowded and competitive race for Manhattan district attorney, the top prosecutor, the top law enforcement official of New York County, otherwise known as Manhattan. It's a position of immense power and responsibility, of great importance. The office holder makes key decisions that impact the lives of many New Yorkers and millions who live in the borough or don't live in the borough or even the city. Millions of people who call Manhattan home, work in Manhattan, or just visit the borough. These are decisions of life and death, freedom and incarceration, crime, punishment, and justice. This is one of the most high profile and important criminal justice jobs in the country. It's technically a state level position, so there's slightly different election rules at play. For example, there are no term limits for the Manhattan District Attorney. The candidates running for this office have different campaign finance rules than those seeking city positions. And although ranked choice voting is happening in city primaries and special elections, ranked choice voting is not at play in a Manhattan District Attorney primary. But the election for Manhattan DA is happening at the same time as the city government elections this year with a June primary and a fall general election. So it's okay if you didn't get all that, you can look it up anytime. But the most important thing is that you know the primary for Manhattan District Attorney and other seats is coming up in June and the general election is in the fall and it's time to get to know the candidates here in 2021. So we're pleased to bring you this series of interviews with the candidates running for Manhattan District Attorney and for other offices, including mayor. These one-on-one -on -one conversations will help you to get to know the candidates, their resumes, their vision, their plans for seeking the office that they are on the ballot for. In this case, the District Attorney of New York County. So joining me by Zoom for today's conversation is Dan Court, a Democratic candidate for Manhattan DA. Dan, thank you so much for joining me. Thanks for having me, Ben. So um, you're running for Manhattan District Attorney, but give folks a broad overview of who you are, what brings you to this race, and then we'll get into a whole lot of specifics. Yes, I appreciate it. Um, for uh, I've represented a, a district uh, in the state legislature in Midtown and the Upper East Side for 10 years, but born and raised uh, on 193rd Street and St. Nicholas Avenue in Washington Heights. I grew up in a union family, uh, 80 plus years of UFT, uh, teachers and social workers. Uh, in my family. When I was 17, I moved to the east side of Manhattan only because of an affordable housing program called Mitchellama. Went to college upstate of Binghamton, came back and went to law school at St. John's. It took me about 15 years to pay back my student loans. Um, in 2003, awarded as one of the city's top pro bono attorneys for my pro bono representation on those on the precipice of eviction. I ran for the city council in 2005, uh, came in second. But uh, I didn't give up and stayed involved in local political matters, but also opened up a free legal clinic in the neighborhood, elected in 2011 to the legislature, and have been a leading voice in Albany on reforming our criminal legal system 
as well as a practicing civil and criminal defense attorney representing poor people in Manhattan criminal court for the last three plus years. And that's why I'm running in part for Manhattan District Attorney, uh, for the Manhattan District Attorney's Office. As a continuation of a life's work spent fighting for people, both in the legislature and in the courtroom, as well as my vision of completely tearing down and rebuilding the Manhattan District Attorney's Office. And I look forward over the course of the next 15, 20 minutes and discussing how I would go about doing that. Great, thank you for that overview. Let's get into a whole bunch of things related to your vision for the office <laughs> in just a minute. You referenced your experience. Uh, talk a little bit more. I mean, you've been in the assembly. You've continued to do legal work, but uh, the bulk of your legal work, or maybe it's maybe it's not the bulk, but a, a portion of your legal work is also defending uh, companies, doing insurance defense. Can you talk about that a little bit? Well, that is true. Uh, 21 years of practicing civil and criminal defense attorney, but it's real litigation and trial experience, depositions, uh, managing other associates. Uh, I have real courtroom experience, real litigation experience. I know how to pick a jury, try a case, depose witnesses, defend clients, um, and most importantly, oversee the work product of other attorneys, something I've done as a partner at multiple law firms uh, during the course of the past 21 years. So I think I have the requisite both legislative experience, courtroom and trial experience, as well as some experience in the area of representing poor people in Manhattan criminal court. And I bring all those different experiences to bear as a candidate for DA. So you've talked a little bit about uh, that experience, what you say, courtroom experience, picking jury, uh, et cetera. This office is a prosecutorial office. You don't think that prosecutorial experience is a prerequisite for holding the office of Manhattan District Attorney? Well, if I did, I guess I wouldn't be a candidate uh, for District Attorney. Well, um, I, think, I think electing another prosecutor would be the worst thing Manhattan can do because it it's simply not going to, the, the complete breakdown and rebuild of this office, the reform of this office that is so critical, it's simply not going to happen with another prosecutor. There are five prosecutors in this race. And for Democrats in Manhattan who think um, that uh, you need a prosecutor, there's five different candidates to choose from. But I'm talking to a different slice of the electorate, those who don't see a functioning or a highly functioning district attorney's office who wants something different and can look to my record, both in Albany and in the courtroom and see that I'm the right person. If you really want that reform to break apart and rebuild this office into something that will make a difference in the day-to-day -day lives of Manhattanites. And this is a very big office, currently well over a thousand employees, 120 plus million dollar budget. Obviously some of that fluctuates every year. But very large office. You talked a little bit already about some of your management experience. Um, talk about that a little bit more. And also in connection, how you would sort of try to alter the culture of the office. You know, one of the main jobs of the district attorney is, is giving the directives to the assistant district attorneys and the bureau chiefs or however you decide to structure the office. But talk a little bit more about your management experience and then also how that would translate into how you would lead this pretty large office. Um, let me take the second question first, if that's okay, Ben. I'm really focused on three areas, recruitment, retention, and a change, uh, uh, and change in personnel. Uh, recruitment, how I would go about doing that. Right now, the office recruits generally from all over the country, brings people in. Um, I would change that. I'm looking for different types of young lawyers, maybe lawyers who grew up in New York City, went to the local New York City law schools. I want to create a direct pipeline because I think I'll get a better or a different type of young lawyer if I recruit someone who grew up in New York City, preferably Manhattan, but someone who understands uh, the communities in which they would serve. Secondly, retention. The office loses a whole host of lawyers after their three-year commitment. 
Some of that is because they choose to do something different. Being a prosecutor may not be for them, but part of that is financial. And I wanna use some portion of the forfeiture fund money to offset costs for loans if that young lawyer agrees to give me years four, five, six, and seven. And that way I recruit differently and create a pipeline to those who eventually will come bureau chief or assistant bureau chief. And then lastly, on changing uh, of, of the culture, you asked that question, it has to go broader than just the leadership team, which is eight, 10, 12 attorneys. Um, we have to look at wholesale changes, not because in any way I would be gleeful uh, in terminating certain employees, but I understand if I'm gonna change the parameters of the office, if I'm gonna change the culture in the office, then it has to go broader than just a leadership team. And we'll look at different bureau chiefs, assistant bureau chiefs to make different changes in the office, specifically within the sex crimes unit. And that's something I've detailed in February of last year, exactly about how I would go about changing that specific unit within the office because of the high profile failures uh, of the last 11 years under Vance. Can you point to um, an example of something in your experience where you've, where you've done something along these lines? Uh, obviously there's, there's limited uh, opportunities in New York government to run an office this size or even help run it. But um, have you done a culture change somewhere? Have you led a culture change? Have you, um, you know, cleaned house to some extent, I think, as you're kind of referring, you think might be needed at the DA's office? Not to the extent of an office of 1,511 employees, which is the Manhattan District Attorney's office. But I, I look, and I, 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 Ben, I think I've spoken to my qualifications and what I've done as a practicing attorney. Um, but the experience that matters most, at least from my perspective, is a vision for changing the office. Um, no one person is going to manage 1,510 other employees at the Manhattan District Attorney's Office. But I've set forth a real plan on cultural change. It's not enough to just say, I'll be different. Of course, all the candidates would say that. I would be different. I would be a different voice than Vance. But that's not enough. I've thought long and hard about how I would actually effectuate that different vision within the office with specific policy changes. Um, and I really do, do look at it as being the head of the law firm. Yeah, let's no, let's go into some of those. So, so what are some of the big changes? I mean, a couple of the things I'm most specifically interested in hearing about, but but go ahead and take it broader than this. Are there ways that you would change the way that assistant district attorneys are evaluated? Are there ways that you would use data or get away from using data? Are there things you would change in terms of directives around plea bargaining? Uh, anything related to discovery? Although obviously those laws have recently changed. Uh, but go ahead. What 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 are some of the nuts and bolts of that change? Of that change. I, feel, I have to take the bait, Ben. You set me up very well with changes in discovery law. That's sure. something I've spent the better part of ten years in Albany. Um, but if you look at my nine point plan on reforming the sex crimes unit, which I put out in February, it includes specific uh, agenda items on transparency, disclosure, re-interviewing re each and every attorney within the office. Um, that's the sort of hands-on approach I'll take to that specific department. Then beyond that, we, we have to look at some of the intricacies. And th this is very wonky and a little detailed, but it's about disparate outcomes for similarly type crimes because you have different trial bureaus. You have the violent crimes trial bureau. You have a whole assortment of different departments, but the punishment levels within each department vary. Um, and that's disjointed justice within Manhattan. This goes to equalizing, uh, bringing things into, into, into a singular standard of justice. And that's what I'm really looking for. So the person arrested and who we deem to prosecute um, for drug possession or drugs, excuse me, drug, drug sale or things like that, they should get the same sentence or the same treatment, regardless of which department within the office uh, their case goes to. That doesn't happen right now. 
So it's really working on the details to ensure more just outcome. And I thought long and hard about how I would do that. And that's just two examples within the sex crimes unit and, and, and uh, drug prosecution and drug dealing prosecution cases where I wanna reduce the footprint of the office in terms of a reduction of punishment or reduction of sentencing, shorter sentences. Are there, are there ways that you would um, try to change the culture in terms of evaluating assistant district attorneys on um, you know, what's sort of deemed typically as their output or their productivity? Yes, um, but it, we're going to get away from the win at all costs that, or the conviction records. We're going to throw that out the window. I think that does not, uh, that, that's not a merit-based system from my perspective. That doesn't tell you whether assistant district attorney is good or bad at his or her job. Um, we'll have an evaluative process, but it won't simply be based upon conviction rates. Um, we'll look at data, but we're also, we're also, it's about outcomes in effect of the vision of the office, which is decarceration reducing the footprint of this office, restoring communities rather than a punitive approach. Yes, there has to be accountability. Of course, we will prosecute individuals who commit serious crime or violent crime because that's what's required. But at the back end, there's an overpunishment of those individuals and that is unnecessary. We know it as, as a matter of science. We know it that people age out of their violent phase that uh, a 22 year old who commits a crime need not be in jail for 40, 50, 30, 40, 50 years. Um, it's a fleecing of the taxpayer. I've seen it at the budget level in Albany for 10 years as in district attorney. I'll put rules and protocols in place, which will, which will make it, which will eliminate that outcome. Are there crimes, uh, current crimes that, that folks should know, voters should know that you want to stop prosecuting or, you know, completely overhaul how the office approaches in terms of either declining to prosecute or, um, you know, not seeking any any jail time, you know, things that you want to fully move into all diversion or just decline to prosecute altogether, things you want to outline? Yes, um, and uh, about uh, two months ago, I came out with a specific list of charges I will decline to prosecute. They include drug possession cases, sex work, a whole host of uh, other crime, uh, charges, fair evasion. Um, these Crimes are typically indicative of poverty, not a criminal intent. Um, and I've seen so myself representing poor people in Manhattan criminal court uh, on, on, on charges like that, mostly summonses. Um, but the details matter here. It's not just a decline to prosecute. So many different summonses are still being written for these individuals, hauling them into Midtown Community Court or other, the summons part in Lower Manhattan, where they're forced to take a half day off of work. So it, yes, it's about declining to prosecute, but it's also hopefully with the NYPD changing the culture of this overarching idea of just writing summonses after summonses rather than arrests. Um, also, I would mention one thing that's not exactly declining to prosecute, but also on drug, uh, drug cases, um, not just the possession, but certain crimes, even for those engaged in illegal conduct, which is drug dealing, they're gonna be arrested and they'll be prosecuted. But because so much of the punishment is based on the weight of the drug, uh, depending on the ounce, they're mandatory minimums, which can result in three years and eight years. And those sentences are intended for the so-called drug kingpins. But so many people are getting caught up in these crimes. So I wanna find ways and I will to reduce the charges because I think something more the lines of misdemeanors or lower level felonies. I do not wanna send people away for three years, eight years, because again, um, I, I do not see uh, a purpose to the Manhattan taxpayer for doing that. And I, I think it's an overly punitive approach, which I disagree with. 
if you're declining to prosecute a, a bunch of these uh, violations, crimes, uh, and you are um, also trying to work, as you said, with the NYPD about not turning turning into summonses, which we've seen there, there has been some of as the city has gone has moved away from arrest. And, and a few years ago, there were new laws passed at the city level to uh, encourage uh, that and move away from criminalization of certain low level offenses. If you're doing those things, is there anything replacing that? Is there um, ways in which you know people who are uh, stopped by the police for these things are are given resources, are put you know are are, are forced or compelled to go into certain programs? Are there things replacing sort of the system now with something else, or is it much more just sort of back off and and don't enforce these things? Um, no, the, the idea is through the city budget and the not-for-profit providers who will provide these essential services that we get individuals the help that they need. I represent a district in Midtown and some in many local stores and delis, and there are petty larcenies, and, um, but mostly those are indicative of poverty or homelessness or essentially desperation. Um, the last place those individuals need to be unless they engage in violent conduct is in a courtroom. Um, that's not what they need. What they need is social services through the city budget. And we have to stop replicating that process in the courtroom. Um, it doesn't work. It exacerbates poverty and it leads to the criminalization of individuals who may have committed the actual act, but uh, nobody is better off by those individuals being in a courtroom. Uh, the cycle just continues. They have a criminal record. They're more likely to get picked up again and then they end up in Rikers and then they end up in a state correctional facility. Um, part of what I'm thinking about and what I want to accomplish is breaking that chain. And the way you break the chain is in some cases decline to prosecute and use the social work function within the office to liaison with the not-for-profit providers that are providing those essential remedial services that will help these people uh, get, back on, get back on their feet, get back uh, to uh, the course of life that we all want them to. In terms of prosecuting crimes, what, which crimes are you most concerned about other than sex crimes, which you already mentioned a bit, and, and you encourage people to look at your detailed plan, which folks should do. What other crimes are you most concerned about? White collar crimes, specifically money laundering, vehicular violence, and many different crimes I would generally put uh, related to confidence scams, uh, phones, emails. Um, Advance currently has a cybersecurity unit that uh, uh, allegedly addresses this problem, but I would go well beyond that because I think these are the real problems. Um, when in a confidence scam, whether on credit card or phone, where you steal $5,000 from a deli owner, bodega owner, uh, anyone, you're really doing damage to a working person. I mean, that's the crime uh, I want to address. Um, and these are usually not just sole actors. They're bi-state, multi-state, international actors. Um, and I will create a, a specialized cyber part uh, in the Manhattan Criminal Court that will be a specific place to address these issues. Um, right now, most of the time, if someone has money stolen from them in a credit card scam or th something like that, their only avenue, uh, their, only, their only remedy is to call the, the credit card company to challenge that. I wanna be different. I wanna take resources away from these lower level crimes that uh, don't affect, in my view, um, uh, the quality of life of most Manhattanites. And I wanna put time, money, and staff attorney hours into really dealing with cybersecurity, as well as vehicular violence, which I've talked about already in the campaign, which is a significant problem um, in uh, throughout Manhattan. What's one change on vehicular violence that you would pursue? It's the exact change I'm pu pushing for in, in the legislature, 
to change the standard from reckless driving to aggressive driving. And I'm not talking about jail time. I'm talking about accountability. And we have to just look at what's really going on, that the city's administrative process on holding uh, aggressive drivers accountable simply doesn't work. There's barely an, uh, an adjudicate process. Um, most of the time, people don't have their license suspended or have to go to remedial classes as they do in Brooklyn. Brooklyn sets a better example of how this can happen under DA Gonzalez. And, and that's the type of approach I would replicate in Manhattan. So both Wall Street and City Hall happen to be in Manhattan, uh, as we all know. Uh, is there anything on either of those fronts that you think needs better examination by the DA's office? Any sort of specific areas within uh, you know, finance, within insurance, or within political uh, dealings that you think are in need of more scrutiny? Well, well, certainly, certainly changing the focus on on what's so-called white-collar criminal conduct. Um, and and uh, look, I've been a, a critic of Vance's approach over the last eleven years, which, in my view, and you use the example of Abacus Bank uh, in in Lower Manhattan on Canal Street, was the example really to monetize prosecutions to expand the amount of money in the DA's forfeiture fund pot. That it was really a focus. On, not on corporate accountability in a courtroom, but really reaching something called deferred prosecution agreements, which is just a fancy word for a, a form or a stipulation saying to corporate malfeasance that could have risen to the level, level of criminal conduct that you, you basically can pay your way out of a prosecution. I will change that approach. So uh, it'll be about accountability and transparency in a courtroom, not an approach to try and expand the amount of money in the forfeiture fund pot. Are there practices um, or types of crimes that, that you think are, are in need of a closer look, you know, money laundering, fraud, any, any examples like that, or, or you're not, you know, you won't be sure really till you were to get under the hood? No, I, I think, look, I think there's some evidence of, of money laundering going on um, over the last four years. Um, the, the Department of Justice has not really been uh, dealing with this. Um, the intricacy, there's a lot of intricacies on the policies and when corporate institutions or banks send a form to the Department of Justice, putting them on notice. Um, to me, that's not enough. Uh, if you have serious doubts about um, uh, that sort of malfeasance, um, then it requires some level of action. And uh, I, I don't want to prejudge it till uh, I, be, uh, I become district attorney, but that's certainly an area that I would put more resources in to investigate whether there's been violations of the state's penal law. Unfortunately, we're already in our last five minutes. So I'm going to try to touch on a couple of things here uh, in our remaining time. Uh, one thing that hasn't come up yet is gun violence. That's um, there was a big increase in shootings and murders across the city, including Manhattan in uh, 2020. What would you do differently about uh, trying to prevent gun violence, trying to prosecute gun violence? Um, what would you What would you do there if you were a Manhattan district attorney while this increase in, in shootings um, was happening? Well, we're not going to be able to prosecute our way out of gun violence. If that were the case, if uh, Cy Vance's approach would work, um, where he prosecutes nearly every case of gun possession, we wouldn't have an increase in, in gun gun related arrests and gun related violence. So uh, the continue, of course, I will prosecute the majority of cases where individuals are in possession of a firearm or, or a gun. That's what that's what in most cases is required. But we should be honest with the voters uh, saying that that's not the panacea to solving the difficult and complex problems of guns on our streets in Manhattan. And I know this from talking to people, to being in the community, 
uh, by one example, uh, I was uh, Lehman Houses on 108th Street and Madison Avenue. And I, uh, this was about 18 months ago. I met a 12-year-old boy um, who was 12 years old at that time who had been the victim of gun violence. He showed me where the gun accidentally had gone off, ricocheted and shot him in the leg. Um, and, and I think in East Harlem, uh, there were 25, uh, I think there were 25 incidents of shooting, 12, 14, 15-year-old young men um, engaging in that violence. So I understand it. It's a scourge and it has to be addressed. But longer sentencing and more punitive approach is not going to get us a better result. There are some important initiatives, uh, one that uh, this district attorney has started, but uh, has to be expanded on a much larger level. It's called the West Harlem Initiative. It provides wraparound services, direct supervision, has a restorative justice approach. It looks at a 10 block radius in different parts of Manhattan and tries to provide services um, uh, to where there's been an increase or continuous rate of gun violence. That's the approach I would take. That's what I believe in the long term will help us reduce the level of gun arrests and gun cases that, uh, that, that the office sees. And just quickly on a, on a first time charge of gun possession for a 20 year old, um, again, possession, uh, not, not firing, not discharging. What would your approach be? Well, it depends on the facts and circumstances, but uh, based upon your hypothetical, the person would be available for diversion uh, services. Uh, it, again, it depends uh, if there were bullets in the gun, the age of the person, if there was a prior criminal record. So it, it's a multi-factored approach um, that I would look at. Uh, but on the single fact that you give me on possession um, with didn't use, maybe the bullets were not in the gun, we'll look at the person's prior criminal record. Um, I, would, I would be open. Um, depending on a, a, an individual analysis for a diversion practice under specific and tight diversion rules and processes. Process, excuse me. From what you've seen so far, do you think the Manhattan District Attorney's Office will be um, charging or seeking charges against Donald Trump when he's a private citizen? I have no idea. And I think it's incumbent upon all of us in this race um, to be judicious in our words about that prosecution uh, theoretically lest anyone say anything in this race if their eventual winner that could lead to uh, them as DA or the office being disqualified from the case. So of course, that's a, a case I would follow very closely with a specific amount of scrutiny. Um, but uh, just like anyone else, um, we wouldn't prejudge a case, uh, certainly uh, until the time the case was before me. Mm -hmm. We're in our final minute here. I wanted to ask if there's any prosecutors or criminal justice leaders right now or, or in the past, if, you, if you'd like, but folks that you sort of see yourself a bit in the model of, not necessarily anybody that you're 100% aligned with. We know, you know, no two people are really ever in agreement on everything, but are there folks, uh, just to give voters a sense, uh, you know, are there people you see yourself particularly aligned with who are uh, in prosecutorial roles elsewhere that you see yourself in the model of? Yeah, I, I would point to uh, Rachel Rollins in Boston. Uh, I think she's a great example about having the uh, courage of her convictions to not prosecute various crimes. And I've taken some, some of my ideas on declining to prosecute from what Rachel, what Ms. Rollins has done in Boston. And, and also of course, uh, Larry Krasner in Philadelphia. I, I think his willingness to make wholesale changes within the office, I think about 28% of the office turned over within the first six months or year uh, of his tenure. And that would be roughly 155 lawyers within the Manhattan District Attorney's Office um, shows the basic thing. If you're gonna make systemic changes, it has to be a change in personnel. It can't just be the leadership team. So 
There are many others. Would you would rely on um, Brooklyn District Attorney Eric Gonzalez for, for anything? You know, I'm always interested in asking this question, whether he comes up. He certainly does. I think I referenced him. And mm -hmm. um, I mean, he's a leader in this country on a whole host of things, vehicular violence. Um, one of the one of the ways I've talked about, uh, I think Eric has been an excellent district attorney. And uh, if I am honored enough to win this position, um, uh, I would certainly seek his guidance and his help uh, in, in what I do as Manhattan DA. All right, we're going to have to leave it there. Dan Court is a Democratic candidate for Manhattan District Attorney. Thanks so much for the time. Thank you, Ben. And thank you for watching Decision NYC with Ben Max. Key decisions for New York City voters are coming up in June and the fall, including for Manhattan voters in the district attorney primary. There's a lot on the line for all of us in the city and the borough of Manhattan, and I hope this conversation and others like it are helpful to you. I'm Ben Max. See you next time.